Master in music, master, master in music. Hi, master in music listeners. I hope that you are doing okay or well or at least okay in these times me myself i'm trying to develop new opportunities for example i'm uh, releasing practice with petronella videos every week to uh, keep my students in shape with their shallow playing and uh, actually if you want to pr practice with me you can also just go in on my youtube channel uh, swedish shallow subscribe and play with me practice with me there is also some i actually did an online concert that is out there and i also have some music samples of not samples it's actually whole songs uh, yeah with things when i that i play and i also actually did now during the quarantine a meditation yeah meditation or progressive muscle relaxation video and what is that you might ask is actually progressive muscle relaxation is like when you teach your body the difference between being tense and being relaxed and now since a lot of people are very stressed and also normally you get a lot of tension from playing an instrument this is a really really good exercise and i was a little bit suspicious in the beginning to this kind of things but then i tried it and wow the results was amazing the first week i didn't feel so much because actually the thing with this kind of progressive muscle relaxation is that you have to do it for 21 days at least because otherwise it doesn't really work because you have to do it regularly it's just like an instrument you know you have to practice it actually so i did this uh, training and then i made a meditation of my own because some of these videos are a little bit like too I don't know, they get a little bit sticky. So I made one on my own with, of course, shallow in the background. So if you want to teach your body how to relax, that's a really good exercise. For me, it gave me so much energy because it releases all the small tension that you have in muscles that you don't really notice normally. And then it just released this and I got so much energy. It was crazy. So maybe that's why I did so many YouTube videos. <laughs> well, anyway, that's on my YouTube channel. Enough about that. I'm a mental trainer, so I uh, train musicians in how to practice really good and how to actually be the best version of themselves, to be a very high performance form in their body and mind, because good can always get better. And in order to succeed, sometimes we can feel that maybe we have to be our ultimate self, and that's not always possible to just order success from ourselves, but you can learn how to do it and also like reduce stage anxiety so that's a little bit what i'm working with which leads me into today's episode so today's episode is an episode with a really really cool pianist called michelle powell she is the wife of peter powell who was in one of uh, our previous episodes and she's Canadian, of course, but she's based in Maastricht, in the Netherlands, and she's an artistic director of the Opus 16 Concerts series, which she created herself. It's a, pretty much a concert series where Michelle invites international artists to play with her in a very nice venue, like two venues here, and um, for the local uh, audience. So she's bringing the international artist into the local venues, which is really, really beautiful and really appreciated here. And then she is a really, really proud piano teacher. She has 25 students and she has her own private piano studio, which is going really well. 
So that's something that we also talk about in the episode, like how to build your studio, what rules to have and how to build it up, how to get the students and yeah, everything around pedagogical tricks and tips and so on. And then we also talk about her job with Diana Petre, because together they're facilitating a focus group called Mastermind for um, is for musicians, where they together brainstorm ideas and try to unlock potential in each other. And she has also performed with Opera Sud, who is a nice opera venue here. And she has also played in Conservatorium Maastricht. And she has given masterclasses around Europe. She has participated in numerous competitions, like the Helene Roberg competition, the Canadian Music Competition, and the Kivanis Competition. And like so many more competitions, of course. Anyway, I think we're going to kick on this uh, interview we talk about corona crisis as well so yeah we covered a lot of topics if you feel like supporting the podcast you can always buy me a coffee you will find the links and the icons on my webpage masterinmusic.com so just click there and give me three euros is uh, enough for me to get energized to continue making more podcast episodes for you now let's listen to Mozart Sonata in D major allegro by Michelle Powell Thank you. 
Welcome to Mastering Music, Michelle Power. Hey. Oh, Michelle Power. Love it. Yeah. Good morning. The power, power, the power couple. Yeah, that's true. So maybe we remember the episode with Peter Power. Yeah. I actually learned so much from that podcast. I was <laughs> kind of embarrassed because I was like, wow, he's so smart. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I, I love episodes with Peter. I love him as a person. He's mm. like so inspiring and yeah. people really love and that episode but also because it's direct you know it's no bullshit oh yeah totally and i think i get the brunt of that being his wife you know so sometimes it's a little bit like i get too sensitive and i'm like here's my idea and then i definitely get that directness but he's usually right so it's good to listen and yeah i mean if you can handle the truth he's right. perfect <laughs> yeah and that's how you grow right you have to humble yourself and then think yeah a different perspective. i think musicians are good at that because uh, i mean we get critics a lot yeah, and we should be good at it because we we get a lot of critique. Yeah, we do, and but I think I mean personally, if I jump into this, it's been like too far because every time you play, then you think, oh no, like what is the teacher gonna say? Yeah. So then you're you're like waiting for the criticism, and I'd like to find more healthy balance personally, but yeah. Well, we are we are really going into the deep, huh? I know, right? Woo! This is just okay, jump, so, jump straight in. <laughs> so let's do it. Let's okay. do it. Well, I have a idea about that, like what I do with my students, because I try to be not. I'm not problem solving i'm trying to work after a model that is like we are working after what we want instead mm. because this trying and error thing like someone is playing something and then they're just waiting for me to tell everything that was bad with it it's kind of mm. creating a lot of tension yeah and for me shallow playing is like the art of relaxation because the more you relax the better you play mm. and if you look at this like i i'm really like drugging this chalice now who is called um, capuchon i cannot pronounce his name but he's a he's a french chalice who is super famous like he has a lot of followers on facebook and everywhere he has his own like cello school in paris and he's so great and i look at him and he's hardly moving mm. and it sounds incredible and if you look at a lot yeah. of chalice also like the last episode with jens peter mains the guy in berlin big chalice he also said that the mo com most common problem chalice has is relaxation yeah. No, that we tense too much. Yeah, totally. That's also a piano issue. Um, but I love that you're saying this because I coached for a while in the studio of Chema Visser, who's a really famous uh, vocal pedagogue here in, in the area. And this is her complete approach. And I've watched her teach hundreds of lessons. And she always takes a singer. And in my opinion, singers are probably the most vulnerable or insecure musician because the instrument is inside of you. So I think it just triggers so much about identity and shame. And if there's a problem with the voice, there's a problem with you. I've had that issue as a pianist. So having the voice inside is even something else. But she never focuses on what's not working. And so and she's never critical about something that doesn't work. She only ever redirects the focus to what is working. And I finally sat down and asked her, like, what is your approach with this? Because I've noticed this. And she said, I always I take what's working and I widen it just like a river. So if the river's flowing, I make the banks a little bit wider and I just focus only on that. So she said it was really interesting. Um, she had a singer come to her who had a severe jaw problem where she would be on the side and all of her teachers at the conservatory were saying, you need to straighten your jaw, straighten your jaw, you need to fix mm. it, get back in line, you know, over and over and over. So she just developed this trauma about the whole thing. And she went to Chema and Chema saw the problem, obviously, and didn't mention it. She just said, okay, focus on whatever she was doing with her to align everything. Um, I think it was about like her resonance and just keeping the sound high. And then within, I think, six months, the issue was resolved. Yeah. And she never once said, straighten your jaw. So yeah. that was really interesting for me. And I've thought about that a lot with my students because you're right. Like people come in, they play for you. And I've noticed they'll say, I didn't practice this. 
this part isn't going well, this isn't working. And I'm like, well, why don't you tell me what is working? And let's start with that and see what we can do together. Yeah, I kind of feel when people tell me, like my students also do this, mm. and then they say, I'm like, yeah, it's like I would go into someone and say, hi, my name is not uh, Maria. Hello, <laughs> my name is so, not Sara. Hello, my name is, you know, and I'm like, I, I don't, I don't care what you're not. Yeah. what your name is not yeah. i want to know your name yeah so can you tell me your name and they always find it but i think it's like in sweden we have this uh, like it's called the gentle law and mm. it's like a law who says that you shouldn't think that you're you are good or you shouldn't see uh, think that you are better than someone else and it kind of destroys a lot of uh, you know progress in your learning development because if you are always focusing on what is shit that is what's going to grow and you create this kind of bad loop that always goes on and on and on and i know i also have this um, Maybe you heard it before because it's like a, a common thing when you have children that you tell them, don't run. And yeah. then the children are running, you know. But as a mental trainer, I have a very scientific explanation to this, if you want to hear it. I do, yeah. So it's like our brain, when it tries to uh, understand what you are telling them, they create pictures. Mm. And it's our, wait, I have to, because I'm dyslectic, so right and left is hard for me. So it's a... Uh, Left it's is logic, right is creative. No, it's a uh, bo- bow hand and the other hand, yeah. So um, the bow hand, the right hand, it's for me, is uh, is the one who is like creating pictures. Mm-hmm. And the other one, the left one, is the one who is dominant and always telling about, uh, you know, the inner voice who is telling you things. When I say don't run, first you create a picture of running and then the word don't just disappear on the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then it's like, oh, run, you know? So Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you tell children <clears throat> this all the time. I also have a... A fun thing when I tell people to don't think about the pink elephant. Don't think about the pink elephant. And all they can think about is a pink elephant. Yeah. But it's funny that we don't think about approaching this into music because most people wouldn't tell their children all the time what not to do. I mean, or maybe they do. I don't know. No, I completely agree with you. This is a really big problem in how we teach. And I mean, just basic with my dog is the same thing. Yeah. I've been watching how to train her and they say don't. Don't tell them what not to do. Tell them what to do. Tell them how to focus. And yeah. it's the same with your students. If you keep saying, you know, don't put your wrists like this. Make sure you're sitting, you know, don't do that. Blah, blah, blah. Then they only can think of what not to touch. And they, they kind of retract in themselves and they get mm. really kind of afraid. But if you teach them where to put their energy, like where you focus, energy flows, right? Whatever you focus on is going to grow. So you're like, okay, sit nice and tall. Here's how you're going to hold your hand. Do it like this. Mm. And that has been a completely different approach that really helps. Yeah. But it's very easy to fall back into, no, don't, uh, 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 uh. And then they're like, what can I do? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's because our society is like problem solving, you know? Mm-hmm. We are trying to solve problem. Also now with the crisis, we are solving problem. We are not trying to, you know, create a solution. Right. But, uh, like, I mean, that's something that I uh, see all the time. Like people just problem solving. And then you only, then you're like, oh, let's quick uh, fix this. And then like, oh no, it falls apart, something else, you know? So you're yeah. not doing the groundwork properly but i also thought about this having a dog is super good because i also got a dog now yeah. and i'm like buy a dog guys if you want to learn how to learn <laughs> buy yeah, a totally. dog because they don't give a shit if you do it wrong they will not do it <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> and get really good cheese because that works really good with dogs cheese is a great treat a really good uh, high value treat i'm following actually a canadian dog trainer oh. on, on youtube awesome. uh, his name is Zach. he's like he has a dog who's called nursa and then he's training her from puppy to adult dog and I'm like following that with my dog super good but that was a sidetrack so now we are talking about teaching all the time so yes. let's just talk about teaching and yeah, Michelle Power teaching so let's start with the piano you have a lot of piano students I know yeah I think I have 25 right now yeah, yeah. and that's a lot yeah and they all went online with this crisis I was really grateful oh they're so but, yeah. good they're yeah. so good 
because a lot of students were like skeptical. That's true. And I've, I've talked about this a lot recently because I feel really passionate about this. But I think as the teacher in the studio, you're really the person who has the authority in the studio. So it's your job to create vision and to create clarity for the students. So when people have concerns or questions or like, how is this going to work? It's your job to present. Here is how we're going to make this work. Here's what you can expect from me. Here's what I expect from you. Um, for example, well, first, the first step for me personally was every time I've been out of town for traveling concerts, I would try to teach as much as I could online just to keep consistency and continuum going. Because mm -hmm. um, that's, I find so important, you know? Know, they miss two weeks they forget the last four weeks you know so they were already used to this concept and I did have some little ones who you know attention is a problem or they just don't think it's gonna work so I would just leave that but in general they were kind of used to the idea of I'm gonna listen to you play online give you some feedback and that's your lesson for the week and next week we'll get back to seeing you in person um, so that was that was already like uh, something that they could get their minds around um, and then I noticed in the second week I had a lot of parents who are trying to just do their best to handle everything I mean kids are being homeschooled <laughs> there's chaos there's no routine you know you can sleep in you don't have to change out of your pajamas, you know, so I, I can imagine they're dealing with so much. And then to remember that like your piano lessons Wednesday at 4.15 and you have four kids. I mean, I get it. Yeah. It's, you know, so my job as the authority in the studio is to say, okay, how can I make this easy for everyone to come in and, and make this work? So I sent an email and I said, my job, my intentions towards you are still the same. I'm going to get you to your musical goals. Um, here's what I need from you. One, I need you to be on time. I need you to have the device set up and ready to go. And I need you to be prepared for the lesson. That means I need the music in advance, scanned, mm. quick, quick iPhone photo, send it to me in advance. Two minutes before the lesson is enough. But the first week I had parents trying to adjust the tripod for 10 minutes of the lesson, you know, and I'm mm. like, okay, this isn't going to work, but that's on me. It's my job to say, here's what we can do to make this better. And then the next week after that, no problems. And like the kids were on time exactly at the time, you know, they're all sitting there ready to go. Mm. And I thought, this is so easy. Nobody was offended that I sent a message saying like, okay, we need to correct some things, but it's my job to give clarity. And that's what makes you a leader. And I think every teacher needs to be the leader of their studio. Yeah. So instead of asking, telling. Yeah, because it's your job and it's, it's, you're the CEO of your business. Yeah. So you get to make the decisions and that's, that's the beauty of it. Cause then you're protected. You set your own boundaries. You say, okay, welcome to my studio. This is how it works here. Here's how I'm going to serve you. Mm. You know, cause I'm there to make these kids better. I want them to learn and not only in their instruments, but I want them to grow as people. You know, I work really hard with a lot of my students who are completely mentally blocked. You know, mm. they'll say terrible self-talk. I'm a huge advocate for positive self-talk. They'll say like, oh, I can't, or this is too hard, or I don't know how and it's like you know what that's no problem that you don't know how so what are a few steps that we can take to get you in the right direction and I had one one kid and he kept saying this is too hard this is too hard and I said it's okay that it's too hard I think it is also hard but you can still do it so then I just made him repeat after me you know this is hard but I can do it and he said it two or three times and then you kind of see like the lights come back on and then that one week later the piece was perfect and then you always have to point out to them do you realize what just happened here you said it was too hard for you and you couldn't do it and then we thought about what some steps that you could take to make it work and now it's perfect yeah. look at you you're awesome and they're like okay maybe i can you know because i think you need to set these kids up for life like we're gonna come against obstacles and do you say well this is too hard i'm not even gonna try or do you do you look for like the first step you know what is the first solution here and especially with this crisis right i'm i ran a workshop recently for musicians dealing with covid because i was so passionate about like i was seeing tons of negative stuff online i mm. i think the the thing that triggered me the most was an article came through and it said every musician I know is now facing bankruptcy and I was like okay is that true no it's not true it's not true for me personally it's not true for the people that I'm speaking with yes it's difficult yes we've all lost income yes our concerts have been canceled like this is not a great situation and especially for my orchestra friends I know it's a big deal but to paint it all black it just didn't sit right with me and I said okay 
what are some steps that we can start taking to take our power back, to not be victims, to look for solutions? You know, this is too hard. COVID is too hard, but we can still try and make something positive come from this. What was those uh, steps? Um, so first we had people write a list of things that they can't control and things that they can control. And that was a really eye-opening exercise because when the world is screaming at you like everything is going badly and like everyone's in big trouble, it can be really easy to just embrace that mentality and say like, yeah, it is so hard and yeah, we're not going to make it and I should never have been a musician and why did I pick this instrument? And mm. you just, you can see the spiral, you know? So, okay, what can't I control? I can't control this virus. I can't control the government if they're going to make me stay inside my house. You know, my my business partner, Deanna, is in, in Paris and she can't go more than one kilometer away from her home yeah. for one hour a day, one time a day, right? So that's, that's crazy. She can't control that. But then we start to look at the things that we can control. It was like, okay, I can control what I choose to invest my time in. I can control how much time I spend on social media. I can control my mental mindset, what I'm going to allow myself to think. I can control thinking about different streams of income. And then people wrote this list and we asked for some feedback and they were like, my control list was way bigger than my not control list. And that was a big eye opener for me. Mm. I was like, yes. Okay. So now that we know what we can control, what are some positive steps we can take in that direction? You know, because I think the biggest thing is like this too shall pass. This crisis is going to pass. You know, they beat the Spanish flu. They beat the world wars. Like the world still existed after these horrible tragedies. So we one day we'll be on the other side of corona and then i was just asking the the group you know what are some steps that you can take now to set yourself up for success then so that on the other side of this you're in a better position to restart your life whatever that looks like no one knows what that looks like then just sitting around thinking that you know you're a victim and you couldn't do anything yeah i i totally agree with you i think it's so healthy i'm so happy hearing this because i also think that i mean if someone can handle a crisis as a musician we are like trained to have bad economy yeah <laughs> That's like um, when people ask me, like I was playing a concert the other day and people were asking me if I had money for food. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, I got really <gasps> tempted. So they're like, no, can you give me some yeah. money? <laughs> <laughs> I hate that question so much. I, I get so triggered by that question. But, yeah. but I, I was like, it came from a good place in yeah. them. So yeah. I, I don't mind, but it was kind of funny. Yeah. But then I was like, no, I, I'm fine yeah. because I saved my money because I'm a musician. You yeah. know, things go up and down. Like normally this is high season for us because yeah. of all the weddings and everything like you can earn a lot of money in this uh, because it's great weather people want to be outside like it's a perfect uh, position for money making mm -hmm. but uh, yeah. I did an online concert actually I first first online that. it was super fun awesome. was it I here in this room? Uh, no I did actually upstairs okay. because uh, it's better um, light mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, uh, my boyfriend has a bigger computer than me so we were in uh, the top floor of my house but it was really really nice experience and I mean you kind of go into your concert flow mm -hmm. and you learn how to speak with a camera instead of a person yeah. I mean it is a bit strange in the beginning because you're like hello but then you kind of go into your mode and the music helps you go into the mode so I mean it's possible to do online concerts as well I mean the, yeah. maybe the problem would be in the future to get people to actually give you money for them yeah but I've I, already I, seen some yeah. solutions for that yeah like I have this uh, buy me a coffee thing yes so people buy that's me exactly coffee. what I was going to suggest absolutely on give me work. energy yeah. and it's like three three euros or something yes it's achievable for almost anyone to give me three euros i think especially if they're gonna sit yes, listen you to you know, for guys. 10 minutes <clears throat> 
Uh, I mean, it's kind of like street busking, right? People would toss in three euros if they liked you. But yeah. this is a much higher quality than street busking. Like you're doing a real actual concert. So. Yes, and people sharing. And actually, like I saw that now uh, the Malmö Symphoniker in Sweden, they were also doing online concerts and they have more viewers than they had in the audience. Wow. Actually, yeah. because people from all the world could see it. Yeah. Not and only people so in Sweden. Convenient. Yeah. It's so convenient. I mean, they don't have to leave their house. They don't have to get dressed. They can just open their phone and watch. Yeah. So easy. And they can watch it anytime. Yeah. So... I think maybe the society will change and the concert houses will change. Like we were all already talking a lot, like I had a composer in the podcast called uh, Vikintas and we were talking about the future and, mm. and uh, musicians. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we read this uh, book Homo Deus by Herairi and we were like, okay, how is the future going to see look like? And he said, it's going to change really fast, very soon, he oh, said. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God, it was a prophecy I went through. But so maybe it will be a more online in the future. But of course, live concerts is... Is something special, you yeah, know, I mean, the vibration in the air. Mm-hmm. Of course, we we love that uh, like more. We do. But uh, about that, uh, you were talking about what uh, you can control and what you can't control. Yeah. I always like to put it in three columns. Actually, mm-hmm. I I like to talk about my business, your business, and uh, nature or God business. Oh, it depends if you are like religious or not. But then, like nature, you cannot force nature to you know start raining or. Right not raining and stuff like this that that's just things you cannot you know mm-hmm. you cannot um, affect corona right by like i cannot take it away even if i want to so except that's by n- staying home and staying yeah. safe <laughs> that's like nature's <laughs> So that's nature's business. And then uh, what other people think about me. I cannot force people to love my podcast, even if that would be really convenient. But I mean, you know. <laughs> and they should love it because it's awesome. Yeah, but so, you know, or you cannot force what other people are going to think about your concerts. Some people are going to like it, some are not going to like it, you know. That's what you can do. But what you can uh, do is, it, just like you said, like, what can I do? What can I affect? Yes, and what that can I do? And the more control you feel that you have, you're less scared, you're more likely to be. Because I think the thing that scares people is not being in control, you know, that they don't no. Exactly, it's fear. Yeah. But then it's coming back to what we started this conversation with. Focus on what you can do. Focus on what can grow. Don't say all the don'ts. Mm-hmm. This is funny. It's like you're talking about the same thing in two different ways. But focus on what's working and go in that direction. So yeah. what can you control right now? You know, for me, I've started um, these online facilitations. We've yeah. done workshops and masterminds. This is something that is so necessary amongst musicians, even like outside of the crisis. But this is something that's really working. So I'm putting a ton of time and energy into it now um, because this is giving such a big return on what I can put my energy into. So maybe we should put out a sh- challenge from the listeners. Yeah. So we challenge them to do uh, like a like thing that you'd make for the Corona mm-hmm. workshop that you did. Mm-hmm. So we challenge you to write down what you can control and what you can't control and then compare them to. And what uh, was the third step? It was to uh, already start now with preparing and doing the stuff that you can control. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Look for the solutions now. So we, we will call this the Michelle Powell challenge. Okay? Corona challenge. Love yeah, it. the Corona challenge. The Corona control challenge. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. That, okay. that was, uh, that's really cool. We'll start a new hashtag. So, uh, yeah, guys, we challenge you. And send us in what you guys are realizing, like things that you can't, but then more focus on what you can. And then I think that after you realize what you can control, you take one step. What's the what's the first step in this direction of control? Yeah. No, another thing that I've been noticing during the corona crisis is like procrastination. And the people tell in the beginning, they were like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do so much things. And then after three weeks, they're like still in the sofa, like, oh, it's very yeah. nice. Like procrastination. So what is your take on procrastination yes that's good we actually just talked about this in mastermind um two weeks ago because this is a big issue for musicians but i think um procrastination (laughs) yeah for everyone that's true (laughs) well first i think i want to say that the corona crisis is 
it's so big in so many ways for people that I think it's okay to take a lot of rest in this time. I think it's okay to slow down. I think it's good. I'm taking way longer walks. I'm outside a lot more. I took the pressure off myself for a variety of projects or, or responsibilities and just taking more time to kind of reset and rest and ask, you know, what do I need right now? And so I think it's really healthy that people kind of slow down. I don't like the hustle mentality. It's something that I've really struggled with my whole life to try and push and prove and earn. And I'm kind of done with it. So I appreciate the season that we have now where it's kind of like a chance to breathe. I yeah. think also, I mean, the first time for musician, they have a vacation. Because I know. You never have vacation. I had a conversation last night with my piano teacher whom I adore in Canada. And he said, this is my first sabbatical in 27 years, <laughs> you know, because he's never been allowed to stop. And as you said, it's high season. So right now in Canada, they're doing all the music festivals. Mm. Well, they were supposed to. So you have the local festival, provincials and nationals. Nationals is actually where I met Peter. So mm. music festivals are always a good idea. Um, but this year, everything's canceled. So he doesn't have anything to do. The exams are canceled. It's end of the year. And so he was just enjoying this breath of fresh air, kind yeah. of, even though it's a very traumatic and chaotic time. But I was thinking like, uh, actually, when this crisis came, you know me, and I, I, I have a lot, maybe I'm naive sometimes, but I was like, oh, actually, maybe now after this crisis, people will like hit the wall less because they will rest now mm. and they will feel so much better. But then I saw all the news and everything like, oh, people are more stressed than ever. And I was like, okay, but really, we are off work. Like and people are always complaining that they work too much and now they get what they asked for and then yeah. they are like even more miserable. <laughs> I, mean, you know, I think what takes the energy is the fear. Yeah. It's the what ifs. It's the unknowns. And that's what drives people like to not be able to sleep or, you know, that's not giving mental rest. So even though this, the workload is cut in half, if you don't find a place where you can rest mentally, then mm. you're not finding the rest, right? In terms of overcoming procrastination, I think we procrastinate because we don't have clarity. Mm -hmm. So especially in this crisis, we don't have any answers. There's a lot of things we don't know. Like, how long is this going to take? How much longer are my concerts going to be? You know, like mm. I'm artistic director of Opus 16 we had to yeah. cancel our last concert in April and at, back then I thought that's okay we'll reschedule for June yeah. this will all be over by June no problem mm -hmm. you know and so <laughs> so I rebooked the date I rebooked all of the, the artists and everything and June's coming and then the, the government yeah you know no no gatherings until September mm. you're like okay you're like December <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, then some rando in the state said no concerts until February 2021 and everybody yeah. starts freaking out and I'm like I woke up to that news and uh, bad ideas to grab your phone first thing in the morning mm. that's another habit I need to get out of but it was you know the first thing I saw was this article no concerts until February 2021 predicted by some expert in the states and I thought okay right now I have a choice am I gonna let this person's opinion and maybe it's a valid opinion and maybe he has some data that he's basing this off of gonna ruin my day because hmm. it was upsetting right or am I just gonna say you know what I don't know about February 2021 right now I only know about like April 2020 so what am I gonna do today hmm. and that was how I could like get out of bed that day and have some kind of like you know okay maybe next season's not happening i don't know about that right now what can i do today um and that was something that really helped but um yeah procrastination when we don't have clarity then we don't know what direction to go in and there's too many variables your mind starts spinning you know that you want to improve in some capacity like for example even with this podcast right so i mentioned i want to maybe start a podcast in the future yeah. it's not like an immediate goal but say that it was because i don't have clarity about uh, a goal so the most important thing is that you have a smart goal right specific measurable attainable relatable and time and mm -hmm. if you don't have any one of those factors it's too vague so you don't know like what am i actually going after what am i asking of myself what are the steps i need to take to get there so because we don't have clarity we just end up not doing anything because no. it's, it's too much it's too big to kind of approach that's why it's so important to just break things down to the very first step what's one thing that i can do to get myself closer to that no. it would probably be like you know coming up with content or researching technology devices or at least setting a date in the calendar that by this date i want to be this far in this process mm. these are steps that we can take to overcome procrastination but 
I think procrastination is just another variable of fear. Mm-hmm. So to avoid that, just get clear on what are you asking? What are you looking to do? And and do it from a source of love. Like if I start a podcast, it's because I think I have things I want to say. I want to contribute. That's exciting. That motivates me to to get out of bed and to figure this out. Whereas if you're like, oh, a podcast. What if people don't like me? What if mm-hmm. no one listens? What if I lose all my technology? I don't know anything about technology. I'm so bad at this, you know? Well, that's not going to motivate you. And then procrastination can come in. But yeah. again, it came in through the channel of fear. So I, I really like the goal settings you had. Uh, let's take them again. because Smart. They, smart yeah, goals. Smart goals. Yeah, we, we call it the same in Sweden. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah great. But I wanted to hear, uh, uh, let's uh, make it clear for the listeners because I think it's very important. Yeah, and I think so, I talk really fast. So specific is the specific. first Specific. What exactly are you looking to do? Details. Right. Like, I mean, for me, details. Because people always say, I want to play good. And I'm like, what the fuck is good? <laughs> we right, we do this with our mastermind. The mastermind is set up to make go- a long-term goal over three months. And then every two weeks, you make a small goal mm. towards that direction. And we have the most intelligent, lovely people who say things like, I'm going to practice more this week. Yeah. Or one one person last week, I'm going to write more blog posts. And you're like, no, how many blog posts? How long are they going to be? When are you going to have them done by? Like we mm. need to get as specific as possible about our goals so that we can figure out how much energy to pour into it. Yeah. And also, I mean, your brain doesn't understand good. What the fuck is that? Right. Uh, no, What's your I'm, standard? I'm uh, using powers. But I mean, it's it's uh, your brain cannot wrap yourself around it. It has to be really foolproof, you know? Yeah. Like uh, that's something that I really like. I love the sentence full proof is my favorite but uh, again smart smart so specific specific. measurable measurable so then we're talking about parameters yeah so how many hours a day uh how many days a week you know give me something concrete give me the data give me the science it's not a feeling yeah goal can't be about a feeling it needs to be measurable yeah and also i mean i will go even further so not even hour, because you can say that I worked uh, eight hours on my piano, but you can do bad right. eight hours and then you get worse. Because uh, that's a common problem that people play bad. And then they, what do you do when you play bad? I go and practice more. I'm like, okay, so if you practice bad, you're going to go and practice more bad. Okay, that's a great yeah. solution for being bad. Completely agree. So measurable <laughs> would be, I'm going to memorize the exposition of my Beethoven sonata. Yeah. Something like that. Something really yeah. clear. I mean, in I, I when I do shallow playing, because mm-hmm. uh, I can only tell what I do myself, is uh, with intonation, you know? Mm-hmm. We always have the your thing when people right. are like, play more play in out tune. of tune. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I want to play more in tune. So, I mean, you can take a tune and actually look, am I playing in tune? Is it as in tune that I actually think it is? Mm-hmm. And you can record yourself and actually sit there and, and check, you know? Because scientifically, you have proof. Right. Because I think the problem is opinions, but people can play really good and feel very bad and then they think they are bad yeah and that's like creates problematic solutions in your brain because i had uh, a concert the other day outside with space and i thought you know it was feeling a bit weird when i played because it was outside you know mm. the acoustic just disappeared yeah. then i listened to it and i was like oh oh that was nice you know and then i was like ah that's good that i measure well that i measure it yes the very recording good. doesn't lie no. i mean sometimes that's a good thing sometimes it's a really bad thing <laughs> but the recording yeah. never lies yeah so that's your measurable absolutely yeah so i just wanted to get in there with my story for proving the point yeah, about no, the measurable. Great, it's a great yeah. anecdote. Um, and the next one? Attainable. Attainable. A is for attainable. So, you know, we're not looking to like get hired by the Berlin Phil next week. Or? Or if they're, <laughs> they're going to call no problem. Um, uh, here's my number. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Find us on Instagram. Um, but it's something that like, okay, what's realistic here? Yeah. Or maybe that's R is realistic. There's a few variants of all the, the mm-hmm. letters. Um, but I think R is, no, R is realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least that's the last version I've read about. So, yeah. Uh, what what is capable in your yeah. capacity right now so yeah. even with this crisis maybe it's not realistic that you're practicing the same amount every day because you're tired like mm. me personally i am so much more tired 
in these last few weeks after teaching on zoom all day yeah. my eyes are shut down my brain's foggy you know i go for a walk and i'm like i'm done at 7 p.m yeah. i'm just i'm ready to go to bed so, do you think is also because you're i can only rely on like one communication like yeah. you cannot touch yeah i can't them. shake my students anymore. yeah, <laughs> yeah but, it was like and it's hard to like because of the you know delation in the wi-fi so yeah. it's like you have to talk them into doing something totally and then like you ha- have like less senses to work with mm-hmm. because normally you can like have the smell you can have the ear you can have the feeling touching everything but now it's like take your shoulder down yeah. <laughs> and it's like relax yeah exactly <laughs> and it's hard and then it's like so sometimes it can be uh, but it works i mean yeah yeah for sure and it's definitely better than than not having them at all um, it's like when you are blind you get other senses that are stronger yeah. so it, i kind of feel the same with the online lessons. as a side note i've been reading a little bit about this like why we get so tired from the zoom calls because mm. it was really oh, yeah. it was bothering me so i put my phone in night mode when i teach because oh. you don't need all that light coming at you mm. um and i just try and demonstrate a lot more so i tell them whenever i play something i want you to play it back no talking because mm-hmm. the talking takes a ton of energy. And then if they don't, I'm, I'm considering something called like embrace the delay of Zoom. So there is a delay. So when you speak, wait a second for them to respond and don't jump when they don't answer and say, did you hear me? <laughs> you know, yeah. I have this one friend, she'll say something as I'm speaking and then she'll go, can you say that again? Mm-hmm. Can you say that again? And I'm trying to re-say what I'm saying. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, you're doing this. So yeah. I embrace the delay of Zoom. It's going to be a little bit slower than an in-person lesson. I'm demonstrating way more, or at least by ear. Mm-hmm. I'll say like, if I want them to replay a bar, I just play the bar yep. and then I point to them. You do it now, you know? Yep. And then the last thing I discovered was how to, my, my students, I'm famous for this with them, but I give them the look. Yeah, you did a story about that. exactly. I have like I love fire shooting from my eyes. I have one student who said he's going to tape a picture of my eyes onto his piano, just yeah. like really yeah. wide because it scares him so much. So you can do this on Zoom. You just open your eyes really wide and you look right at the camera. Just yeah. get right in on them. And then they, they know exactly what you mean. So I'm, you know, you learn to develop these other ways. But the reason we're talking about this is because it's not realistic to work for me in the evenings anymore. Mm. Unless I have like a coffee at 8 p.m. and then I'm going to be up all night. But mm. uh, like just I'm just tired from this online teaching. And then the last one is time based. So you're mm. giving yourself a deadline. And if honestly, if it's not in the calendar, it's not going to happen. Mm. So something I really embraced recently is time blocking. Yeah. And this is just another word is batching where you just crank out a ton of content on the same subject. Or like you're only doing emails for 45 minutes and your phone is in airplane mode and you're not looking at WhatsApp and you're not checking your Instagram because the fastest way to lose focus and energy is switching tasks, right? Mm. This multitasking thing, it takes like three times as long. So um, this is something I struggle with personally and I'm really trying to get better at this. Like, okay, what am I doing right now and only focusing on that? Yeah, I think it's uh, amazing uh, advice. Thank you so much for the goal thing. I think, I mean, I live my life after this and mm. it really works yeah i mean now i'm also like a crazy person when it comes to discipline i have loads of discipline oh, wow. i think i'm a crazy Please person i never oh, procrastinate <laughs> i'm this kind of person who does it the second i'm supposed to do it and then i'm going around laughing at everyone else who didn't do it <laughs> i know i am because i'm super competitive so i want okay. to win and okay. i want to be first with everything i'm you know when i wrote my thesis in the master program i i left it in like two months before everyone else two months before the deadline and i got the highest grade in the conservatorium oh, about wow. it you know that's how competitive i am okay so i'm dangerous in that way because it's not healthy it's not healthy it's not healthy being that competitive but yeah. uh yeah i love it but i try to um, i i become really much better in being calm but uh, it's nice um, this goes 
really work, so listen to Michelle. You can also <laughs> do the uh, the mastermind. So let's talk about the mastermind. Yes. I really like the name, mastermind. Mastermind, yeah. Actually, we just came up with our company name. We're going to call it The Fearless Artist. Oh, nice. And this is because um, what I really believe is uh, the mastermind gives musicians the ability to unlock their potential, reach new heights. I heard a great quote yesterday by C.S. Lewis, and he said, it's, it's one thing to be wise on your own, but it's far better to be wise in the company of wise people around mm, you. I love C.S. Um, Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis, too. I was like, wow, that's so great. And it's just the power of accountability, collaboration, listening to other people who have been there. Mm. I mean, you can't put a price on these things because everybody shows up. Um, how it functions is you create a long-term goal over three months. And as freelancers, what I often find is we are constantly working towards the urgent. So I have to teach my students. I got to pay my bills. I got to mm. do this gig so that I can have enough money to pay for the food. Yeah. <laughs> the food, <laughs> you <know>? yeah. <laughs> But, you know, my, my most important projects, like my website or a recording, you know, these things get put off and put off. Well, maybe mm. not if I'm Petronella, but if I'm Michelle, <laughs> these are long-term projects that <clears throat> I would love to do, but I don't ever get to them. So I had my first mastermind experience uh, this past August with some great uh, people from Juilliard. And my my long-term goal was to create a board for my Opus 16 concerts because mm-hmm. I, if I'm going to get money, I need to become a foundation. And to, to become a foundation, I need a board. And all of this stuff was going around in my mind. And because I didn't have enough clarity, I just put it off forever. I think over a year I was procrastinating this. So I finally sat down in this group. We were six people. Everybody comes up with a long-term goal. You explain what you're going to go for. Um, and they're very, they were really good. They were like, how much money do you want to earn? Like, what are you going Mm. after? Really clear, you know? And so I made my goals. And then every two weeks, I had to come up with a small goal in the direction of this long-term goal. And for me, it was such a new experience to work over time towards something. I I told them, I feel like I'm making super slow progress. Because every two weeks, I would just kind of take one step. And they were like, you don't realize how many, (laughs) how much progress you've actually made because you've made four or five small steps that actually got you. And then by the end of the mastermind, I had my foundation. Nice. So I was like, okay, this concept is incredible. And I love it so much that I want to start my own. So I um, have a great friend in Paris. She's a violist. We played together often in Paris. Um, And she had also participated in this. And we just have like, we do a lot of uh, outreach in schools. So we're very used to facilitating together. We have like a really great combo of personalities and we bounce off each other. Mm -hmm. And so we started this, we decided to go for three months because I thought I wanted to avoid the dip of energy that sometimes you get. And I put it out there and I had like 20 people interested within the first two days. It was crazy, the response. And we immediately started with um, two groups and they're just actually finishing now. And we started the mastermind before Corona. So it was really interesting because everyone's long-term goal ended up changing. Yeah. Uh, Because for example, when one girl wanted to do some auditions and then all auditions are canceled, you know, and somebody else wanted to do a recording project and, you know, but, but, you know, there's a saying, improvise, adapt, overcome. Yeah. I think it must be from some TV show, but I'm not sure. But now all these people, they had to take their goals and we're still like every two weeks, we're like, okay, what are you doing? You know, like we're here to give you accountability and support and talk you through this. And so then they had to like change their direction, but now they're still going forward. And yeah. I thought if there's ever a time that you want to be in a focus group is during a crisis. Mm. Um, because we're all like like-minded individuals. We all have focus, discipline, all these things that musicians already have. And we get together in a facilitated discussion. So nobody's rambling or going off topic. And then we just go. We start with updates. And then the second part of the mastermind is something called a hot seat. So one person gets 15 minutes of basically brainstorming power from the group. Mm. It's like a beehive. It's amazing. So somebody will come with a different issue. For example, somebody said, how do I set up my online teaching studio? So then everybody asks uh, clarifying questions around this issue, like what have you already tried? What's your experience, et cetera? And then the suggestions start coming in. 
and everybody's just getting this flow of ideas and inspiration and somebody's got a story here and somebody already did this there and and I mean I'm sitting there taking notes because I'm learning so much from these people even though I'm the facilitator but Going into this, I understood my role as a facilitator is not to be the expert on all these conversations. My job is to unlock the goal that is in the group mm. because I've got like four amazing, intelligent people sitting in front of me. And between the four of the six of us, there's an answer here that's really interesting and helpful. Yeah. So the, the most powerful thing for me is watching people come into these sessions. Everyone's a little bit grumpy. We're, we're discouraged. We're tired, you know, and then everyone leaves and it's like the lights are all on. You're like, I am inspired. I have direction. I know how I'm going to go. And it's just really powerful. Um, we also have different topics that we discuss every session. So one of them was overcoming procrastination, fear of failure, how to set up your music studio as a business. Uh, you know, because I think we all know if you're a freelancer, you have to kind of learn your business skills after school. I mean, yeah. I've heard now they're starting to introduce business courses into the conservatory. But me personally, I didn't have any kind of business experience. So my business experience came from when I learned the hard way. And so now I have my studio policies and I have my administration software and I have my accountants and all this stuff, you know, but before this, I didn't know anything. So we just have these really great conversations about it. And we do a lot of activations. So we'll do stuff like, you know, write down what you can control or not control. Write down your fear setting list. We, Tim Ferriss excellent exercise called fear setting mm -hmm. where you write down everything that you're uh, going through and then you uh, define prevent and repair so you're like this is the fear here's something i can do to make sure it never happens so let's give an example if i uh, have a fear that i'm gonna have a memory slip in the concert what can i do to prevent it so either i'm gonna spend a lot of time working on my memory or play with my iPad, which has been my choice lately, or then the repair segment. So it's like, if I have a memory slip, then I will do this. And you give yourself a way out. So that just drastically reduces the what ifs, the mm. fear, and it gives you a lot of clarity and peace. So we did this exercise a few weeks ago, and I, I'm just finding it so powerful to use these tools to help people, give them clarity, focus, the encouragement of the group. And it just makes them execute. I think that is the most powerful thing is that you know, you, we would not do these things if we didn't have a group of people saying like, Hey, we're a community. We're here to support you. And we want to know how you're going to reach your goals. Cause we care about you. Right? Yeah. And that, that for me has just like been so rewarding. It really sounds great. I really love that that you say that is what you do because I always get a little bit frustrated when people are like oh it's the thought that counts and I'm like no because you can be the kindest person the best violinist player in the world in your head but if you don't do anything you're never going to make it exactly so it's a uh, it's not the superman thing you know it's like it's what you do that counts actually and, yeah. and how you do it so that's really a good uh, thought I think yeah it all comes down to execution you can have all the books in the world you know, my shelves are filled with books that I haven't read. Mm. If you don't do anything about it, you're not moving forward. And that's a classic. You know, people are reading self-help books and they don't do anything. Right. And they're like, oh, I'm just going to read the 10 self-help books. And then they never do anything. And I'm yeah. like, yeah. Like I'm following a, a guy who is like, he used to be the best boxer in the world. Okay. And uh, now he's like uh, having a lot of restaurants and stuff. And he's always running at five, uh, five in the morning. Wow. And he's like 50 now. And okay. he's like up running. And every morning when I look at my Instagram, I see his picture there like good habits is a choice that you make every day and something you do mm. every day. And like he's 50 years old out running in the five o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, okay, Petrella, you're 29 you can do this, you know, and then I'm like out doing it because he really inspires me. Mm. And I think uh, if you do some little bit, every day becomes a habit. Like my procrastination things is things that I, I 
I never do it. So it's a habit for me to do it right away. Mm. So then, you know, it's not difficult for you anymore. Yeah. It's like when people want to train, they always team up with a person who never trains as well. Right. Because they like them. Like, we are the same. Yeah. That's not, not to train, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you also need to start training. Yeah, let's do it together. Like, you will never start training. Right. You will never do it. It's like, team up with that 50-year-old man who's yeah. running every day. Yeah. Team up with that guy. That's so But good. they always team up with the, you know, the 100-pound kilo <laughs> person who never trains and yeah. i'm like are you stupid or something yeah. you have two problems then you have two people <laughs> with big problems together in the yeah. same room and you're trying to uh, to start something that both of you have no clue what to do mm-hmm. i'm like but this comes back to the concept that you are the average of the five closest people around mm-hmm. you so if you want to become successful you need to surround yourself with successful people yeah you need to put these people in your mind you know it creates vision mm-hmm. just like roger bannister right he's the first guy who broke the four minute mile mm-hmm. um before him, the scientist said it was impossible. Yeah. No one can ever run this fast. And I love that guy. As soon as he did it, mm. there was a ton of people who just managed to break it within months of him because mm. he created vision. Yeah. So we need to put people around us who are living the lives that we want to live. And you can really look to them for like, how do you handle your life? What are your habits? What are your the things that you're doing? What are your character traits? And yeah. and how can I become more like you? You know. I also do this like com- I have a, another challenge that I do for my stu- my mental training students. It's like uh, the complain free hour. Oh, because that you is know good. people always complain and we confirm each other. And it's like complaining becomes a social uh, construction of being friends. You and me hate the same thing, so that's why we are friends. That's exactly. And right. I hate that because oh, and especially in music schools, it's like these teachers going and confirming each other's, and they are just uh, complaining about problem. I'm like, oh, what are you gonna do about it? You know, sitting here and whining is like what? You know, yeah. doesn't. And then I then I forbid them. To have, I forbid them. No more complaining. And if one hour is achievable, then oh, three days, two days, two weeks, because it becomes a habit. And if you break that habit, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have nothing to talk about. And then you have to start <laughs> yeah, that's true. learning how to talk about good things. Yes, I yeah. love this. I went through something similar, I think, four or five years ago, where I really started to go after this in my life. Like, okay, I'm not going to speak negative. I'm not mm. going to speak negative about myself or about other people or gossip, you know. Because you're right, you're just kind of like pumping the the toilet or something and just like Mm. swishing it around. So there's no point and it doesn't give what you're looking for. Um, So just being really aware of what comes out of our mouths. And Mm. I I call it speaking life. So you speak life over situations or, Mm. and I think the opposite of complaining is gratitude. So an exercise that I started doing is, you know, if I'm having a rough moment, just, okay, name five things that you're grateful for right now. And that's always super easy. You know, it's like my dog, my piano, my house. I mean, even in Corona, I've just been going to bed thinking like I am wrapped up in a nice duvet and there's a roof Mm. over my head and I'm okay. I think people used to be better at this before, like Mm. in the old days. Like um, I force my students to do this exercise, but three things before sleeping, because if you go to sleep happy, you are more likely to wake up happy. Okay, that's good. So, uh, but it's also like in the old days, people were more religious. So they kind of prayed every day. Like, thank you, God, for this and this and this. But now these days, like society is is less religious and we never take this time to reflect about things. Yeah. Because I like to... yeah, I like to look into different kind of uh, religious things and mindfulness things and take the good things out of them. So this is one thing that people, all people can do no matter what uh, be- beliefs you have. But it's really also like what chemicals happens in your body when you think about gratitude. Mm. Or just think, yeah. like even if you if you have a, a fight with someone mm. and you hate them, just think about like, I'm grateful that at least he's alive or something, you know? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. there is always something you can be grateful over another person, even if you don't like their behavior. Yeah. 
but it's super nice. So Mastermind is, uh, I think it was great that you are leading it because if you would put a, a, a group with, you know, people with the same problem, it would be super. That's uh, why it's so important yeah. to facilitate a discussion. So yeah. Deanna and I have a lot of tools that we use together to make sure that the conversation stays on track. And if somebody starts to spiral negatively, which has happened in one mm. of the sessions, we just quickly bring them back to like what we can control. What are we focusing on? What are your goals? Mm. And not, not denying that it's hard. Like we don't tell someone like, oh, you don't have any income. <laughs> like well no. never mind get over it right get like, over it. you need to acknowledge the pain mm. and give it a place and yeah. even if you have to grieve or or deal with it somehow but then after that you have to find out like okay what are you going to put this energy towards so you can grow yeah so this uh, is super nice if uh, i think uh, you're on to something really healthy and really necessary in the music world because people are screaming for it and this is actually some a model that is very very common when it comes to business yeah i, mean, I know it's a huge business term that i didn't even know about yeah and it's just not known in the music world so this is yeah, but uh, we are back we are like sitting there and like oh beethoven you know he was so good you know we're still back in everything was better before because the music comes from before but actually you know things developed and we had i i don't understand why we don't have mental trainers in the conservatorium for example like I know. every person who is in a sport uh, university or in a sport you know anything with sport has this kind of person around them i completely agree with you and you're saying Bolt would never run that fast. He would never have came up with his special pose if he didn't have a mental trainer, for fuck's sake. It's like... Yeah, no, I completely agree. And this is uh, something that I think conservatories don't prepare uh, musicians for the real world after. The conservatories are still focused on making you the best performer that you can be to win the competitions. But personally, like I didn't do Queen Elizabeth and I didn't do Clyburn. So what's left for the rest of us who love the instrument love the career can still have something to contribute how do we build our careers you know and everything that we've had to learn came from being outside of school or, or the books that we've read or you know i mean i did have a class one class seminar in, in university about stage fright and performance nerves so mm. i mean that was helpful and i did have another class about you know making your your cv and things like this but nothing to the extent that we need now i'm mm. not sure what's happening i've been graduated a few years but like you know there needs to be much more focus on like your website your brand your your instagram your like who mm. are you as an artist why would people hire you and not the hundred other you know and Actually, we're having a guest speaker, uh, Peter Schoenerwerd, coming onto Mastermind next week. And he's going to be talking about creating your own unique voice as a musician. So, like, why hire Michelle over the other hundred pianists who can maybe play faster and better? You mm. know, why do you want me on the stage? And what do I bring that no one else brings? And, and these are big questions that we need to find our voice as artists and then be really confident in that. Yeah. I think uh, you're totally right, in my opinion. But <laughs> I would also think that you have to, I mean... You become a better player if you have these uh, things uh, figured out, mm -hmm. especially like also the business part, especially if you want to be a, a professional. But it's also like something that should be in the music school, like when you're very young, because it starts there. And I have uh, like my students mostly come now like three weeks before the exam and like help. And I'm like, yeah, OK, I'm what I'm going to fix 18 years of you know mental bad sickness mental yeah <laughs> yeah like mental bad habits yeah in three weeks thank you yeah, yeah totally <laughs> i mean i can i can give you a lifeline and i can try to change you but two months would be more real realistic because these things are not rocket science actually mm -hmm. when i read about it and you more like in the training that i do i realize that it's actually not 
rocket science. It's easy stuff, but if you don't do them, life becomes very complicated. Yeah. And I mean, how do you feel? Do you think that you become better after a better pianist after your mastermind course, for example? Oh my gosh, it's so inspiring. So one yeah. thing that I've been doing seriously with my career is looking at ways that suck my energy and ways that give me energy. Mm. And after a mastermind call, I'm buzzing. I mean, I just feel like I'm born for this. <laughs> and to hear everyone else's ideas and input, and it just gets your mind, you know, you're getting new information, you're making new connections, and you're, you just can't wait. You know, it's, I was thinking, actually, I asked myself this question two nights ago. Um, if I could do mastermind full time as a career, because I, I do know a few other musicians who have gone full time into copywriting or mm. digital media, et cetera. And, and I thought, for me, they both go hand in hand. Like my performances... I mean, <laughs> I love performing. So that needs to stay in my life. And then the mastermind just kind of fuels the energy that I need to get towards that performing moment, you know, and being stronger on stage, being more confident on stage, presenting myself as artistic director and also the performer of the concert. You know, these are these are tools that I'm learning by having these great conversations with other musicians and, yeah. and learning from each other. And uh, it's invaluable and it brings me to the level of performing at a new level. Yeah. And I guess, you. I mean... Reaching goals doesn't only apply to uh, business goals. It also applies to learning a certain sonata, a certain right. concerto in the piano skills. Yeah, a lot of the goals of our mastermind members are uh, recordings. Mm. Or now there's live streams because yeah. the one girl who's wanting to do auditions, she's now compiled all of her excerpts and she's recording them for herself. So, I mean, there's these are performance-related goals. Um, it's not just business. And also one of the other girls is doing a website. Well, that's only because it's going to bring her more performance opportunities. Mm. So everything is supposed to be connected to ultimately your performing career. Mm. Um, however, we do have some people who don't um, focus on their performing careers in the mastermind goals, uh, but they still have the qualifications and experience as musicians to be contributions to the conversations. And we do do an interview process. And that's what I'm always looking for. Like, will this person be able to say something interesting in the conversations? Like, what are they going to bring to the table? Because yep. we want to make sure that everyone's kind of on an equal footing. Mm. And we're looking for people who are really driven and want to grow and improve and willing to learn and read the books and mm. get the new information and, and kind of expand as people. So what books are you uh, reading? I read How Women Rise recently. Don't ask me the author. Sorry. Uh, Sheeler's something I shouldn't butcher the name. Um, and that helped me a lot. Uh, it was talking about how women can rise in a corporate sense. But just for me, learning how to be more confident, speak with confidence, not ramble, <laughs> uh, not repeat myself, different ways that women have basically handicapped themselves and not grown as fast as they could have. Um, that really helped. Uh, you know that uh, all the most of the research in the world are based on men because uh, scientists doesn't want to research on women because we have to. We are not stable emotionally because uh, oh. like how we learn. Okay. So uh, because we have the menstruation and stuff like this. So mm -hmm. most researchers, like scientists, they only do like researches on men okay. because they don't have the period. So okay. they are emotionally more stable. They say. Oh boy. So, but in Sweden, they do actually with women also. Okay, well there is uh, there is more and more scientists who started it, but if you go like to the old psych psychological researches, like you know Freud, and I mean even after him and stuff like that, like until today's time, most of it is based on how men learn. Mm. So it's a bit like sad because I I like to have very specific like scientific facts because some people really need that, and then I want to be able to provide them with that. So. Then I realized that all of this was based on men. And I was like, okay, oh, okay. I have to do so much research. So Yeah, luckily yeah. there is a surplus. It's nice to follow some, if you are a woman, that you also take this into consideration. Yeah. 
I have seen a surplus of books written about women in leadership recently. Mm. So that's been really helpful for me personally. Also, we are reading, we have a whole resource list, but Tim Ferriss has some great stuff. Yeah. There's a performance psychology book that Deanna's really recommending. He worked with Olympic athletes and mm. that's all about focus and mental training. And it's incredible. And what is uh, his name? Uh, the author of that? Can we put it uh. in the show notes? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm but the, the book the name. name was, the book name was. It's like, I think it's performance psychology for... I don't know. I'm so sorry. Okay. I will. <laughs> I have it was a not. It was not a fun enough title. <laughs> exactly. To remember. Yeah, to remember, a mental trainer writes a book like that. He needs to think about. Yeah, the title. it was a very boring title. Um, but <laughs> no, it was an excellent book. And I'm reading also the Savvy Musician yeah. and the Savvy Musician um, for business. Mm. So those are really two great resources where you can just kind of flip through. And um, actually, I'm just reading a book by someone called Carrie Green, and it's She Means Business. Yeah. And it's just about how she started her own business from basically scratch. Yeah. And uh, I'm just I'm learning a lot of new tools or concepts or how to get my material out there. Um, because Mastermind, we just started it basically by word of mouth and a couple Instagram posts. Yeah. We don't have like an email list or a website yet. So these are goals that are coming up for us over the summer. Yeah. But depending on when this podcast is released, we're going to be launching again in September 2020. Yeah. So of uh, course, it's uh, it's normal that you start something to see if there's an interest before yeah. you start the whole business process going. Yeah. Peter learned us that. Yes, he did teach <laughs> us that. He's always saying, you know, something that really helped both of us is you can't steer a parked car. So when you feel stuck or lost or not sure, the best thing to do is just take a step mm. and then evaluate. Okay, I took a step. No shame, no judgment. Did it work or did it not? And mm. how can I adjust? Yeah. And that's personally for me how I got unstuck. Um, because I remember when I first moved to Europe, um, I had funding from Canadian government to study in Switzerland privately. Um, but other than that, I was starting completely from zero. Mm. And I just remember thinking I was so lost and I didn't know, you know, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? All these big questions like, should I just go get a real job? I hate that term, real job, you know, but, you know... Am I not supposed to be doing this? And finally, I've started to find my path just by trying things and seeing where my strengths are, becoming aware of my strengths, and then looking how to be a contribution. Like, how can I serve other people? How can I grow? What gives me energy? What am I good at? And then kind of putting it all together. And I've kind of put this career together of a variety of different channels. Like I mentioned with the the outreach concerts in Paris or um, performances or then becoming artistic director of Opus 16 or, you know, now I'm facilitating online workshops. I never could have planned or guessed all of this, but all of these things came just when you kind of try something and then see if it works or not. So tell us a little bit like how you did it, like, because how did you get 25 students, for example? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I first moved here and uh, I got involved right away with a local church. So then community, oh, mm -hmm. you're a pianist. Great. My kid needs a student. So the first year, I think I had three or four. And then I never even advertised. It just grew by word of mouth. And, the, and there's a very large expat community here. But also, I have quite a bit of Dutch students now. Um, so a lot of them came through my church. And then you get a lot of siblings. Mm -hmm. And then you get a lot of word of mouth. So the last two years, I would say all my new students are word of mouth. I've thought about putting something out online, but... Ultimately, I would be, I would love to teach more at a higher level. So I'm not advertising for beginners. Although if someone asks, like I usually will start their their kids off because I love kids so much. So, mm. <laughs> but I think ultimately my strengths are teaching at a higher level. So I'm looking into getting more of that. Um, Which I just had some great advice. Sorry, but um, someone who was finding students online through Facebook groups mm. and just giving like coachings rather than like long term lessons and just saying like, hey, do you want to have like a 45 minute lesson on Zoom and they just pay you as a one-off. And I was like, oh, that's something I'd be really interested in developing. 
How does it work in your studio? Like people buy by season a, a, a lesson package or how do you uh, construct your lessons and your, your yeah, studio? That's a great question. We actually talked about this two days ago in Mastermind because yeah. um, I felt like a lot of my colleagues didn't have all of their studios transfer online and to them they felt like that was out of their control. And in my opinion, I think if you set your studio up from the beginning as the authority, then it is in your control if students can quit in the middle of the year or not, or if they try the online lesson or not, you know? You have a rule book uh, also. For, I have a studio like, policy, yeah. yeah. So studio in the policy. beginning, um, I rule. just, you know, welcome. Yeah, it is it's yeah. kind of a rule book, but Brene Brown has a saying. She says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. Mm. And so the more clear you can be at the beginning about what you can provide, what are your services, what do you expect from your clients, and just kind of make everything as open as possible. It gives people a lot of rest. gives them security. They're like, okay, I know how it's going to work here. And yes, I can agree to this or not. So in my studio policy, I have a pretty strict cancellation policy. I explain all of that. And then I sent the email and I said, can you read this through and let me know if you agree or not? And this what is, is the cancellation? So personally, I don't allow cancellations. I allow rescheduling if mm -hmm. they give me eight hours notice. So for me, I think they can wake up sick on the day of the lesson and call me and say, I can't do it today. Can we do sometime this week? Sure, no problem. But where I got burned in the past was, you know, someone would say, so-and-so is not coming today because they have a birthday party. And so then I'm suddenly lost mm -hmm. half an hour of income because they chose to do something else at that time. It's like, well, I'm sorry, but I need to learn how to protect my time. And this is, again, where it comes back to me. I am the authority of my studio. I am the one responsible for protecting my boundaries. So if I don't like how someone is treating me, that's on me. It's not on them. And that's really important because that's when you learn to take your power back and you're not a victim to someone else's birthday party, right? Mm. So you say, you just tell them in advance, like, if you need to reschedule, no problem. I need this much notice. Here's what you can do. But if you decide not to have the lesson, then the lesson is forfeited. And that's all in writing. And at the beginning, I say like, welcome. I'm so glad you're here, right? Because I really love my students. They're wonderful kids. And I love seeing them grow. Not, I already said this, but not just as musicians but as people getting them mentally unblocked to try new hard things that is like my ultimate goal with them so that when they don't become pianists at 18 years old they're going to go be awesome engineers and they're not going to be overwhelmed when they have something that's difficult because they've learned this process like you were mm. saying this mental training and, and then the problem the end, we have in music is mostly the problem we have with ourselves yeah right yeah. and not not allowing them to give in to fear or being uncomfortable or out of their comfort zone so playing an instrument is personal development it is totally i have that on my studio policy i said here are 10 things your child is going to learn discipline focus accountability goals you know these are all like it's a wide picture more than the piano um and i love keeping that perspective because i think it's very healthy you don't expect all these kids to become concert pianists it would be ridiculous and then at the end of the studio policy you know i explain billing personally i don't bill monthly i bill 10 at a time and that means my admin is a lot less. I only have to do admin about three times a year. And I'm not asking the parents for money every month. I think it just creates more arrest. People like it more. Um, someone once suggested to me to just bill twice a year. So you do by semester. But my travel schedule was too complicated for that. So I decided not to do that. So this system is working really well for me. How long are the lessons? How, uh, what can they choose from? Uh, I do anywhere from 30 minutes to 45 to an hour. Yeah. And most of them are 30 minutes and a couple 45s and actually this year i don't have any hours so it's just a lot of 30 minute back to backs yeah. actually wednesday and thursday is my biggest teaching day so i'm always just like go 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 <laughs> yeah um and then at the end of the studio policy i always say this is what i'm going to give you i'm going to give you the ability to reach your goals i'm going to give you a lot of support here's what i can do for you you know and 
this is the first year that I asked the parents to agree that they had read it. Because you never know, you know, you send it in September and then in February someone's going to forget they want to cancel the lesson and you don't want it to get mm. awkward, especially because I'm friends with a lot of the parents. So you just want to be really clear from the beginning and then everyone's on the same page and it's no problem. And then if they need to cancel, they know that they're going to forfeit the lesson and they're okay with that because they made mm. that choice. So then you're giving them the power to make their own decisions about how they manage their, their lessons. Life. Yeah, that's really healthy, I think. Yeah, it's it's working well for me. And every time I told this in the mastermind, but as soon as you get burned, you go to your studio policy and you say, yeah. okay, where in this policy did I not make it clear that this behavior was not appropriate? You know, so yeah. I've had people call me all over from this Corona thing. Like my student wants to quit. He wants to move his lesson. What do I do? I'm going to be out 80 euros because of this. Mm. And I'm like, well, what does your studio policy say? What, mm. what were the expectations that you set at the beginning of the year? You know, I think the most dangerous thing is to go week by week yeah. and to get cash every week um, because then you're just, you're kind of expecting to lose money at this, in, at some point during the yeah. year, someone's going to say, I can't come today, see you next week. And you're like, okay, I just lost 45 bucks. Like, yeah. That sucks, you know. I I do like, they can also reschedule yeah. for me, my lessons. But if they uh, like call me five minutes or like the same day without a, a reasonable reason like yeah. if they are sick we reschedule the lesson of yeah. course but if they just want to cancel for whatever reason then they have to pay anyway yeah because that's time that i could have of course used on another student or done uh, practicing myself and other stuff it's your time and your time is valuable yeah. especially when you're trying to build a career like you're doing podcasts and you need time to walk the dog you need time yeah. to live you know and, so. and after i did that no one of my students are canceling and even like sometimes my students get uh, feeling bad for being sick and I'm like no don't feel bad you don't have to pay when you're sick and they're like oh but I can pay anyway and I'm like no yeah <laughs> you know if you're sick you're sick but it helps so much to be clear also then I know how I am supposed to react on things because it yeah it's just so amazing but I, I love to hear this from you because you're really good at it and um it inspires uh, inspires yeah thanks I just want musicians to be protected I want them to take themselves seriously I want them to stop thinking money is a dirty word if you know mm -hmm. if you want to I, I hate the starving artist myth because I think we make decisions that put us in this situation. You know, the best analogy is you teach people how to treat you. Mm. You know, if if someone comes into your house and they see that the house is immaculate, they're not going to put their feet on the coffee table. Mm. But if they come in and there's like magazines everywhere and like mm. whatever on the floor, they're just going to be like, oh, whatever. I can act like however here because yeah. the person obviously doesn't care. So when I treat myself with respect and I present myself with confidence and say like, hi, I want to help you reach your musical goals. Welcome to my studio. This is my studio. This is how it works here. This is mm. what you can expect from me. Then people are like, okay, yes, I want to be part of this. Or no, I need someone who's less intense <laughs> and won't yell at me when I don't practice my scales. Yeah. So shout out to my students. Um, and then that's okay because I'm still protecting myself. Yeah. And there's just clarity. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the same with concerts. Because sometimes, like with, I always ask every person who's in the podcast what they charge for a concert. Okay. Uh, not what they charge, but how they charge, like how they put the price tag on themselves, you know, on okay. a concert and yeah. something like this. Because it's a thing that we are always struggling with. Yeah. So let's move on. Uh, how do you do it? <laughs> you want numbers or? No, I mean, like, how do you evaluate how to, like, how do you put the price on a concert? Like, 
how do you put the price on it? Like for okay, so I've been do you burned. go after the tariff of the country or do you go after hours spent practicing? Yeah. This is a really, really important uh, thing that all musicians need to practice a hundred times on the phone with their friend, you know, because mm. the most dangerous thing is somebody calls, hey, Michelle, can you come play here? Of course, I'd love to. Okay, great. What's your fee? Mm. And then you have this moment where you're like, dun, dun, dun. And you're like, crap, what's my fee? You know, because you're like, I don't know. So I think the first thing is that you need to decide your fee mm. or at least decide your ballpark. Mm. So I've talked to a few other people about this, like getting like, you know, the, the market rate is important. Like when I first moved to the Netherlands, I needed to know what are music schools here charging for lessons? Mm. Um, I just recently found out I'm the most expensive piano teacher in the area. Um, I didn't know that, but I went up, I increased my rates because some parents were saying to me like, why are your rates so low? You're professional. You should be charging more. But I think it isn't Kulmulus um, more expensive? They are very, like, I, I looked at their fee. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure. I no, thought... they, they are not very expensive, but they, their fees are higher. Yeah, they have high fees because they do a lot of admin fees. But and I also... also they have like locations and stuff like that mm -hmm. different like than private pri I did try to figure out what Cumulus taught but because they build per semester I didn't break mm -hmm. it down to the hourly fee oh. so I'm not sure exactly I but did <laughs> okay <laughs> I think privately though I knew that my rate was mm. uh, was up there so anyway back to this concert thing yeah. it's important that you know what the market rate is of the the concert market so you're not saying something outrageously high or low but you definitely need to have a ballpark and you need to have a minimum mm. so you're like I will not go lower than this and the in the past I've been burned in areas where somebody said okay it's it's just like a 30 minute concert what would you charge and I instantly halved my rate mm. and I spoke with Chema Visser about this this singing pedagogue I mentioned before and she mm. said a concert is a concert you going mm. on stage is a concert it doesn't matter if it's 30 minutes instead of the hour which mm. is the normal she said you charge minimum this and you know the energy that it takes you're getting in your concert dress you're driving the distance like by the time you're there most of the work has been done right like mm. of course the performance but all of the prep work is the mm. same so she said you shouldn't go minimum than this amount and I was like okay that's good and then I did the mistake where they're hiring the singer and the pianist and so I said okay well I'll take 100 euros less than the, the vocalist or I'll do you know mm. I know I mean these are just things that happen in the moment where you just suddenly feel a bit insecure so you lower yourself because I'm working with this incredible singer and he's like the star and I'm just the pianist and you know so I've done this to myself and only after when you realize like, okay, I'm not treating myself with respect. I'm not treating myself with confidence. So people won't pay. And I love what you just said about as soon as you set your boundary for your teaching studio, nobody crossed that boundary anymore. Mm. So as soon as you set your concert fee, people say like, okay, that's great. And so the best thing that happened to me was two years ago, I put out a ton of emails uh, trying to get more concert series in the Netherlands. I wrote a big list and I got a cold call concert booked and he wrote back and he said, uh, this is our fee for the concert. And it was 200 euros more than I was used to charging for a concert and I was like what that's what you're giving mm. is this what I should be asking and that for me like exploded my fee because then it was like okay like this is the ballpark this is my new fee so then one month later I got booked at Copenhagen Falls and they said what's your fee so I said this fee that I, I and it's so easy you're like well recently I performed here and I was paid this some people know you're not BSing mm. you're not just picking a number um and they were like okay we can't do that but we can do 50 euros less than that I'm like this no that was problem. really good like last time I performed I, I got paid this that's a really good one Oh, totally. I and you mentioned the one. name. You can even say like it was at this concert series so people know the name. They're like, yeah. oh, that's well known. Okay, well, if this is the average, then so-and-so. And presenters, like they want to pay their artists. So they'll just say, okay, I can't afford that, but this is what I can afford. Can you do this? And and then you can start the negotiation process. But for me personally, my personal rule is if I'm asked on the phone for a fee, I don't give it. I do everything mm. in writing and I do it not on the spot. 
Yeah. So if they say, what's your fee? I'm like, I'm going to have to get back to you or I need a, I need some time to think about it. Let me call you back. Or can we do this over email? Anything to get yourself yeah. out of that pressure, like pick a number now, because that's what I did when I ended up taking like 150 less than the singer I was working with. Because yeah. I was like, oh, well, you know, he should get his fee, which was much higher. So I'll just take the less. And they're like, Michelle, yeah. what are you doing? This is not respecting yourself. And this is why you're perpetuating the starving artist myth. Mm. If you want to starve, then stop. Char- you, know, you, just, you need to charge more. Yeah. So. A business corporation would never even negotiate, know. you know? Like, so- can you imagine Ikea telling, no, this Billy bookshelf here what can you give for it yeah you know yeah it would be like i think we also get treated that way because it's like and also an electrician would never like you cannot negotiate yeah, yeah like they gave a bidding on the work that they can do and with the material and everything that they do and then of course they are competitive with other firms and stuff like that but i mean they cannot they count on it and that's what they can do if take it or leave it you know mm-hmm. I, I i also lost some concert because i was too expensive for them i guess but yeah okay that's that's it then but i mean to face it if they cannot pay what i'm asking is like yeah then maybe they should hire a musician that have less education or right yeah. and this is when if you want to like level up in your career you need to actually go up the level right yeah. so this is scary because we think we're going to lose um, opportunities but actually you're going to get more money for less time yeah and you're going to get better concerts and you're going to get better audiences and mm. you know i think it was two or three years ago that i just decided i'm not doing gigs anymore like mm. i don't do background music <laughs> i don't do stuff for me personally that was just sucking energy Mm. And of course, like if somebody wants to play at a wedding, background music and people are chanting, that's great. If you love it, do it. But for me, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> right. So go for it. Enjoy it. Right. But for me, it was just it wasn't worth it. And mm. I was like, I, how do I get out of this? It was causing me stress, you know, so I'm like, OK, this isn't the right area for me anymore. This is something that's taking away energy. So how can I shift my focus? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's nice. I mean, everyone has different uh, things that they want to do and what you want to do. You should spend more energy on. I mean, now I'm doing this takeaway concert and then I kind of have to have a program that is affordable for everyone. So then I have like a program that I say, OK, if you want my fixed program that I'm doing, that is like I can do it in if you call me three o'clock tonight, I can play the program. OK, right. that program you can have for this freeze if you want to have some special songs some other things okay then this key will come on to every song that you add because that's how much it costs for me to learn it that's great. And played. So I try to be reasonable. But yeah, I mean, it's also like when you work for the theater or, or uh, like an institution, you always get paid like a normal, normal person, like mm-hmm. maybe 2,500 euros or something in a month. Right. And so that's normal. I mean, and that's a basic salary for a beginning salary, I think. Mm-hmm. So cool. We talked about uh, the money already. Oh, so that's good. We talked about money. Yes. And uh, let's talk about the other thing that musicians struggle with, nerves. Oh, yeah. So what do you do not to be nervous on? Or how do you do to play good on a concert? Let's put it that way. Yeah, great question. Uh, first of all, I think performance nerves are something that should be accepted um, and not this thing that I have to get rid of them. Um, I think a little bit of nervous energy is good. It gives you the adrenaline that you need to give that extra boost to the performance. It gives you... And also, I think it's just such an honor to play for people that you don't want to go out there and be like, yeah, whatever. It's the same as playing in my pajamas. It's not. It's it's the performance that you're giving to people who 
who showed up for you. I mean, pre-corona times, people got out of bed and got dressed and they came to hear you play. So you really want to make sure you're giving your best. And I think that nerves earn a, a little piece of that. Um, in terms of extreme nerves, like if you have something that detracts from your playing, uh, something that I learned that's helpful is just becoming aware of it and then accepting it and then shifting your focus back to what you're doing. So for me, sometimes my left knee will start to bounce. And rather than saying, you know, freaking out, stop shaking, <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, how interesting. My left knee is shaking. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that interesting? Okay, now what was my phrase here again? or what's coming up in the music. I think for me, I'm always trying to anticipate the next phrase of the music and doing that preparation in advance. So you, you never want to get caught in the cycle where you play, judge yourself, criticize yourself, and then realize you're behind. You always want to be ahead in your playing. So you're like, what's coming next? How do I want to phrase? How do I want to shape? Where am I in the form of it? So yeah. Be aware of what's happened. Come back to focus. And for me, a phrase I always think is, uh, I'm singing and listening. I sing my phrase in advance and then I listen to see if I shaped it like that and then I keep going. Yeah. Do you, um, like if you have a, <clears throat> if you're a student, I know that you have student concerts sometimes. Uh, I what believe... do you tell your students? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh my gosh, I did not know how traumatizing these concerts were for my poor students until, until the weeks before the concerts. And I would have crying. I would have refusing to play. I would have kids red faced and refusing to go up. And I thought, what is this nonsense? This mm. is not supposed to be something that terrifies them. It's supposed to be a joy. It's supposed to, you know, so actually what I do is at the beginning of every student recital, I give a little talk and I'm like, okay, we're here to share our gifts with each other. You guys have all worked very hard. This is about progress. Um, you're allowed to make mistakes. And I say that to my students all the time. I am allowed to make mistakes. You know, they put their hands on their hearts mm -hmm. and give yourself permission. Um, because as soon as you say it has to be a certain way, that's when like the fear comes in, judgment comes in, and you just get kind of stuck. Like, And then one mistake will undo the weeks of progress because they can't see anything past the mistakes. And who taught you that mis mistakes were so important, you know? And yeah, okay, in the lesson I do get after them. You know, you want them to play the correct notes, but that's something else. It's this fear that I'm just trying to eliminate from them. How do you look on mistake uh like yourself what do you tell yourself when you make a mistake um actually um you know miguel and ines uh mm -hmm. they yeah, just the awesome uh, they are awesome shout out to them uh soundbox sound soundbox yeah soundbox they have uh, uh, wonderful uh, lessons for children yeah, yeah. Ex exactly so i was just watching their lesson on skillshare um and they talked about how using the, your students mistakes as a learning opportunity and so when they make a mistake you need to ask yourself okay why did they make this mistake and what is the puzzle piece kind of missing that this thing happened and so it's interesting when the student makes a mistake because you're like oh they didn't understand something it's no fear or shame or you know and okay sometimes it's just because they don't practice and they're sloppy so i have like one student who just kind of like hammers away and i'm like stop you know <laughs> so <laughs> there is room for that but in the in the little ones when it's like they really don't get something i'm like okay either it's a focus issue or they're really not you know they're really not getting this so how can i again if i want to take my power back how can i give them the message in a different way that they can yeah. embrace it more and then, and then if it's a mistake on stage uh, it's just like probably lack of preparation or probably lack of repetition or they're you know they practice start to finish instead of practicing the trouble spots on a regular basis you know these are the things that i try to teach them how to practice but it just doesn't always happen because that's life but yeah then you can just learn from it and then i always just say like you're so much better than last recital like look yeah. how much you've grown and just helping them become more confident as little people yeah i think it's super super nice and healthy attitude and the parents always say wow the level is so much better than last time like mm. it's like everyone kind of notices that the level's going higher and that's really motivating because then everyone's it's the power of community 
city again. Yeah, it's uh, super powerful, I think. I have a similar way of looking at it. And it's always like um, if you, because most of the time when people come to me, they have issues with mistakes, obviously, in mental training, not my shadow students. But anyway, so they uh, they do this. Oh, I did a mistake because I make it a mistake. I'm a bad cellist or I'm a right. bad pianist. <laughs> and then they are mm -hmm. connecting bad pianist, bad that to a bad player. I will never become good at it. I'm a bad person. No one loves me. And in then they are useless and ready to take their life. And I'm like, oh my God, one yeah. this note made this uh, yeah. conclusion. I'm like, oh my God, what is this note? Yeah. You know, such a powerful thing. And then in the end, when you analyze it, it's like, no, a mistake is a mistake and it stops there. Mm. And that's it. The end of it is just, I mean, maybe you had a sweaty finger and you just slipped on it. Maybe there was something outside, like sometimes there is a dog coming in or maybe there is something at the window, maybe a, one in the audience or sneezing. I mean, it could be anything to make you do a mistake but you just prove that you didn't learn that yet so you will practice some more you will do it again and you will learn and it will be fine huh yeah and this is the beauty of yeah. taking judgment out of the equation so yeah. as soon as there's no judgment then you can just analyze the situation as if it's like from a distance from you yeah. like okay something happened let's look at it and figure it out mm. but if it's here if it's too close to me then it's like you are the problem yeah that's when it touches your identity and that's yeah. when it can get really messy Yeah, but it's not uh, it's not that bad, guys. Right, and <laughs> this is why mental mistake. training is so important and <laughs> mental boundaries. I love that yeah. you're doing your sessions. I want to learn from that and like start to do it with my own clients because I think you're right. Like one thing can just you know get us down to here. It's like, can we take some perspective here? Mm. Like, can we get back to actually dealing with what's the issue? And it's also you know about this inner voice that you talked about the in in, in judge. You know, sometimes I ask people like, where does this person come from? Who is telling you this? Where does this voice come from? Yeah. And people are like, I have no idea. It's like, okay, I don't trust people. I don't know, you know, because I don't. Yeah. If you don't know who this voice comes from, it's like normally it's a parent who told us this one time or a gold yeah. teacher. Yeah. It can be someone in from an audience. It can be someone somewhere that told you something. This can be like total bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how can you trust this person? Right. How do you know that this person knows everything in the world? Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, what is this voice? And where did they, where were they on that day that they said this thing to you? Right? Yeah. Because if they weren't healthy in their own right, then they give you an unhealthy Yeah, maybe thought. maybe their boyfriend broke up with them and they were angry. <laughs> yeah. And then they come in and like, oh, do you really have to play? And then they get like, you and get you... really offended and like, oh, they don't like my play. They don't like me as a person. And you bring that comment with you all your life. Right. And it was just bullshit. Huh? So don't trust people you don't know. Brene Brown <laughs> says, um, how someone responds to you says everything about them and nothing about you. Mm. And that's something that's really helpful. So when you come into a, a situation with someone and they respond in a bit, in a way that you think isn't very kind, you're like, that actually has nothing to do with me. Mm. That's everything to do with how they talk to themselves, how they're thinking about this. And that's really healthy to be able to distance yourself from that. Yeah. And when people tell you, why are you playing out of tune? You know what you tell them? I'm sorry. I haven't learned yet. <laughs> but I will. <laughs> yeah. It works. works I know very that, good. that is such a shame trigger for string players. Yeah. Because I've worked with a few string players and you just hear like, oh, they're like, I know I'm out of tune. And you're like, I don't care. I'm a pianist. Like, yeah. I'm just... You're like, really? <laughs> My really... piano is always uh, tempered. Yeah. But we have... No, I wish it was. Right now, um, with this corona thing, like, yeah. yeah. I was on this call last night. It was really fun. We talked about Beethoven. Mm. Yeah. This, the, this panel. Yeah. Yeah. That was really great. And and one of the, the pianists said, has, has everyone learned how to tune their own piano yet? And I was yeah. like, no, but I really need to because it's getting out. So that's yeah. one of my ultimate dreams. It's like doing the war just a 
Shostakovich composed on this very like out of tune instrument. Yes, yeah. and actually Beethoven himself, like he could never keep a piano in good shape, so everything was always broken, hammers broken, mm. strings popped, and it was never you know well kept. So people would come in and just be kind of horrified at the shape of his pianos, but he couldn't hear anyway because he was deaf at the end. Yeah, so yeah. he had no idea. <laughs> he just had it own in, in his own inner yeah. mind. The inner, which is amazing. Yeah, the inner uh, music that you can compose inside. Okay, so how do you how do you handle jealousy and uh, when people say bad things we always uh, that was one question that I had but uh, yeah I think we covered it a little bit already Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but um, how do you handle jealousy because I think a lot of musicians are jealous at each other totally it's a big problem Um, I think comparison is definitely a death trap because you're never going to be enough you can always find someone who is doing something better than you Mm -hmm. and that's really dangerous because it inhibits your progress it's kind of a cliche thing but you should only compare yourself to yourself. You can, you are the only person who has your unique, you know, your DNA, your way of thinking, how you view the world, your your talent, your craft, everything that you've developed in your own technique. That's unique completely. So it's actually not really fair to compare yourself to someone else who yeah. started younger, who had a better teacher, who had better access to mm. It's like, okay, back to what I can and can't control. I can't control what someone else has done to get yeah. them to that level. But I, what I can control is myself so just going on this journey of like knowing when you're triggered knowing when it's unhealthy you know like unfollow on social media if someone for you is a trigger i just mm. highly advocate like getting that out of your mind don't let that spin around in your mind because that's really dangerous and deanna my my co-founder she says this a lot just you're on your own path so embrace that path you have opportunities that no one else does um look for the ways that you can be a contribution look for problems that you can solve and just look how to i mean for, for, for me i just want to create a fulfilling career And that's changing now as I get older and my career is developing and, you know, the time for competitions has passed. Like I'm not going to have a big title on my resume. So if that becomes like the, this is the only way I will be meaningful by having won this prize at this competition, then you you just, you completely limit the possibilities of anything else happening. Mm -hmm. And I think we can really quickly become our own ceilings. So you're like, because it doesn't look like this, I can't. But then when when you're getting blocked like that, you just have to reframe and switch directions. So like, okay, where can I go? And for me, the shame trigger always comes in is saying like, well, you didn't get that career because you weren't good enough, right? Mm -hmm. So now you have to go to your plan B, which is something else. But I'm finding so much fulfillment in this direction of my career that I'm going in. And quality of excellence is still something, one of my core values. So I I never want to be like a mediocre pianist. I'm always pushing for the next level, but that's something I can only do within myself. I can't compare myself to someone else um, and they're playing in their training. And also as I develop my my USP, my unique selling point, mm. I'm starting to just really love like what I bring on stage. You know, I know that I bring a connection to the audience. I bring an intimacy. I bring, you know, and maybe, maybe my Beethoven recording isn't going to be the recording that everyone goes to as the example of how to play Beethoven, right? But on that day, on that stage, I had something to give and I something to say and I touched my audience and music is about so much more than playing the perfect interpretation Mm. it's about creating something beautiful and giving that away so the more I can focus on these elements of my career the less I can worry about like this person played a bigger concert at a bigger stage and at the same time like I have dreams for myself like I'm like okay I want to get there how can I how can I get there what are some steps that I can take to to create that future for myself Yeah, it's a really nice uh, to have a perspective when you get a little bit of jealous. But I also, I don't know, for me, I kind of like jealousy is kind of nice also because you're like, oh, there's something here that I want to do, but I didn't do yet. And someone did it very good. 
Mm. Like a lot of the times I want to go to them and, and tell them, I, you're, you made me a little bit jealous actually because you're doing this really good. That's an interesting perspective um, because you're right. I think that highlights to us what some of our desires and dreams are. Mm. And that can be a really healthy thing because it gives you direction. You're like, oh, I really want this. So let's go in that in that way. Um, and also I, I heard something recently that helped like someone else's success doesn't take away from your own. No. So I have a friend who recently won like a big uh, orchestral position. I had another friend who was saying that it really was difficult for them to see that person and what I should have said is you know their success doesn't take away from yours that you still have opportunities in your career just because someone else got one doesn't mean that you don't and that's when the perspective of scarcity comes in when we embrace this mindset that like there's only so much for everybody to eat from and if something's taken away then the rest of us are like well what's there for me but we don't live in a scarce society we create our own possibilities we create our own opportunities so go create something that you can do for yourself you know i mean for me opus 16 started so that i could perform it was like okay i'm new to this country i'm getting some gigs but they weren't at the level that i wanted i have some people that i want to play with so Let's just book myself for every concert and invite other people to perform with me. So we have piano four hands, piano quartet, piano trio, piano violin, you know. Mm -hmm. And now I'm playing at a really excellent level with incredible musicians from all over. And this is something that I've orchestrated myself. Just giving myself the own opportunity, you know. And it was really cool, like, how you did that. I was so impressed. Uh, And it's really professional, everything. And it's super nice. I I really love, like, the logo, the programs. It's nice music. You have a a community that always comes to you. Li- uh, listen to your concerts and you do it in like not in the city city but like a little bit outside the city so also those people who were mm-hmm. starving for art has an opportunity mm-hmm. i think you're really like feeling a need as well as creating something from your own and i know that from the beginning you had to like pay the venue to mm-hmm. have have the concert there mm-hmm. So it was like a little bit of a risk taking. Yeah, totally. Tell Actually, us another everything. another big risk for me was when I hired a graphic designer mm. um, because I was doing everything myself. I was making my own posters in Word, which is a terrible idea. Just don't do it. And then I remember two years ago I went and hired a graphic designer, and that was definitely a financial risk because I'm I'm able to pay myself as performance, but it's not the level that I want it to be. And you know, so I was like, am I really going to cost me more, like a few hundreds of euros, to do something that I could do myself? And this is again the scarcity mindset, mm. right? Like I'm going to save pennies in every way that I can. Mm. But then what ended up happening is now I've developed a brand because she's incredible and she knows what she's doing. (laughs) And I don't have to worry about that anymore. And so... Uh, now we have this style and it's a house style and it's growing and I'm getting a better idea of what it means to have like a brand and that becomes recognizable so that people are like, oh yeah, that's that thing that I know because you're creating this this uh, voice for your series. And then it's only growing. And yeah. this is because I took this risk. And I think also it's so easy to forget about your return on investment. Like, okay, it's going to cost me X amount of dollars to hire a graphic designer, but it's going to bring so much more in ticket revenue or marketing uh, or just getting my name out there. You know, people know now. Mm. more of me because they see what I'm doing and that's just because it looks aesthetically way better I mean this is all basic branding yeah that's the first uh, contact with the audience is the is the poster or is the ticket or people know if it's professional or not they feel it in the paper you know they walk in they sense the atmosphere they're like is this just like thrown together as an actual like thing you know Mm. so if you want to grow and develop you need to take it seriously yeah yeah and success feeds success right Yeah. yeah and another thing that helps is just starting I I watched a 
a digital summit for musicians recently and she was saying musicians are so scared to invest in like for example software like if you pay mailchimp to run your mm. email list you're like well i could just do that myself it's like yeah but you're starting a business and you don't have rental costs you don't have electricity bills because you're working in your own kitchen so mm. think about these costs like business costs you want to run a business you need to have business expenses like this is just normal right so it's that was also kind of like oh yeah like you want to run a business you need to pay to help grow or else you're going to stay small So what is the top top five advices for someone who wants to start their own uh, concert series, for example? If you want to start a concert series, um, the first step is, well, I mean, financially, you're going to have to figure out what is your plan, mm. at least for the first couple seasons. Um, are you going to take all of the risk yourself, which I'm, I've done some variety of that over the years. But initially I had like a cultural center approach me and they say like, we want you to be the new Uh, director and here's what you can do like here's what we can offer you and since that's it's been five years now so that's grown every year but if you want to start your own series i think you need people around you um you need help you need people who can give you advice um you need to find how you're going to find your audience i would start already to think about like the title of your series developing a brand developing how your posters are going to look you know all of this stuff um, and you can do this on a small budget in the beginning for sure but if you want to grow you're going to have to realize like there's going to be costs involved in bringing more people on board and then of course like finding yeah the venue and the instrument and then on top of all that you need i said like the audience because you don't want to be playing for 10 people yeah so learning i mean i had to learn about press releases and getting word out to media and getting a media list and getting some press attention and how do you do the media list because um, that's something i think the musicians really could use some uh, advice yeah on. i mean google you can just start searching mm. for like the the newspapers um i had someone give me a few addresses that he used for his series so i just started emailing all of those but you know like your local paper just send it to their info line or go meet them. I meant to meet them in person and now they always put like a nice color photo of me in the paper. And I think developing relationships is crucial um, whenever you're starting a new project because you need people around you. And ideally these people are also going to come listen to the concert. (laughs) Mm. So um, yeah, I would just focus on doing things relationally and starting to get an overall sense of uh, how am I going to fund it? Yeah. Because you don't want to be, you don't want to be paying out of pocket to play. Okay. That's a nice uh, advice. So now we can see a lot of, nice concert series after the corona yes. crisis and also you can use the smart uh, smart advices yeah smart goals in order to do the concert series i also have the, some questions about relaxation what do you do to relax because i mean we do live a lot of uh, we have a lot of stress we do a lot of things we are working hard you're working hard what do you do to like ease the stress and calm down and just uh, yeah. research the batteries That's a great question. I started to take this seriously about a year ago when I kind of had like, it wasn't anything like a burnout, but for me, I was like way too emotional and really tired. And um, so I started, I took a good look at my schedule and I looked for the energy suckers things that were just taking up way too much energy and not giving me enough return. I started having days where I don't teach. So I don't teach Tuesdays or Saturdays or Sundays and just give myself like a day off. And so I just like condensed all my students. And again, it's like this, this boundaries thing. It's like, well, if I don't give my students all the days of the week as mm. options, then I might miss out on a student, right? And mm. it's like, I told them I don't teach Tuesdays and it was no problem. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes we are our own problem. We limit ourselves. So I would suggest like setting your boundary first and then seeing how people respond rather than worrying that they won't. I started going for longer walks with my dog. Um, I started going for like monthly massages. Oh, 
Um, yeah, naps are totally welcome. Every Sunday afternoon, I sleep at mm. least two hours. <laughs> Just little things, but they end up being big things. Yeah, I have a, your... actually a listening question from uh, Elin Sofia. Uh, oh, she's yeah. Swedish, oh, and she I know her used from to. Running club. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, how is the running going? Oh my gosh, I quit running club so long ago because of Corona. But running, yeah, I mean, I do a few kilometers every day with Hannah. Mm. It's nothing. Tell Elin, oh, this is embarrassing. We used to do like 10k's together, so she was. <laughs> yeah, I know she runs a lot. Oh, that's so great. Um, yeah, I used to do half marathons, and that was something really great. I've been saying I want to get back into it for a long time, but I just haven't. But for me, actually, learning to run helped me a lot with my practicing stamina because you have to learn how to pace yourself. Mm. And that was really interesting to compare that to practicing. But yeah, I just do very short runs now with Hannah. Yeah, it's nice with the dog also. Okay. Uh, I was also wanted to comment because I want to congratulate you about uh, your student, Julius. Oh, got, yeah. Uh, uh, Christina Concord. Yes, thank you. Yeah. He's seven years old and won a nice competition here in uh, yeah, Maastricht. So. How do you... Uh... He is a ball of joy. Yeah. That kid. He's so great. Um, he learns mostly by ear. Yeah. So the craziest story is at a student recital, and I should mention he has another teacher as well, Edith Rutten, and she uh, got him started a few years ago. He's just started coming to me um, the last year and a half, and he does with both now. Um, and she's, I think she's really working with him on like trying to read, and I'm yeah. working with him about like, he gives me the more advanced pieces that he does, and I'm trying to shape him a bit musically, but still also trying to get him to read, yeah. because he came to a student recital, listened to an hour of music, and then went home playing the theme of my 17-year-old's sonata. Nice. Just like a Clementi k45 545 uh and he just suddenly had it in his head so we were like this child is a genius <laughs> i was like what am i gonna do with him so i really had to think about okay how can i try to shape him and steer him and um of course the lessons are in dutch because he's seven and he doesn't mm. understand my english so i'm always just trying so desperately to like make him understand me and have some discipline in the lessons and also make sure it's fun so that he doesn't mm. think that i'm like only telling him like the don't do this don't do this you mm. know and i'm like okay but but actually he's doing really well and it's the most important thing is that his parents are working with him because yeah. when you're that little you need the parental support and he's playing the bach prelude number one in, in c major and mm. just that's what he did for the concours and yeah. it was beautiful it was really beautiful i was like wow really nice yeah. Yeah. it's my favorite piece that yeah. i love that I, i always play it i i cannot play piano very well but i really love that piece for yeah. some reason yeah. it's just just you can play shallow with it also so right. it's perfect okay so uh very nice i also wanted to congratulate you on uh, your husband peter's sister who is a harpist oh yeah Phoebe. Who got, uh, yeah Yeah, shout out to Phoebe. She just won the Harp Fellow at New World Symphony in Miami. Mm, yeah. Super cool. Yeah, super she's inspiring. Great, so, yeah. Maybe she will come to the Netherlands and be in my podcast. Yes, actually, I want to invite <laughs> her be really for nice. 16. So yeah, yeah, that could be super nice. Yeah, let me know when she comes we'll and make I will. That happen. I will. Uh, I will come and interview her as well. Yeah. I had like a lot of questions here, but yeah, I. W- We don't have so much time yeah, left. That's totally fine. But yeah. thank you so much for everything. Yeah. Michelle, is uh, is there anything that you want to share? Like I have of course the traditional questions. One uh, advice for a musical uh, student and one for the conservatorium and one for the yeah, professional musician. Oh, that's a great. Great. So music a tip school. for yeah, music school first. A tip or uh, something on the on the way, you know, because I want people to look at this podcast as a sharing and caring and inspiring thing. So what can we give to the music school? Music school level, I would say don't quit when it gets hard. Push through the discomfort of when your piece seems too big for you or you get bored or you don't have motivation. Don't give up because it's going to be really exciting if you keep going. No, really fun, actually. Yeah. 
you will have use of it all your life. Yeah. And for the conservatorium student or university student. Conservatorium, I would definitely recommend start to think about life after conservatory and prepare yourself for the after of this after life. bubble. <laughs> yeah, because I really felt for me like university was such a bubble and your whole world is this. And it's wonderful, but it's also it can be difficult or toxic, you know, mm. and then you get out and you're like, OK, what was that? And now <laughs> look what I have these challenges to deal with. And why is there no better bridge, you know? Mm. So I would just say, like, kind of try to find ways to prepare yourself for the yeah, after. Absolutely. And someone in my position where your freelance career, I would absolutely say, like, get yourself in a healthy community where you can um, talk to people about, you know, like this conversation for me is, is also so healing because reinforces ideas that I've been thinking about, gives me new perspectives. Um, keep reading, reaching out for new ideas, stay focused on your craft and the things that really bring you joy. Don't let the everyday life sucks kind of take out the the joy of what you originally started and and probably most of all is don't don't get discouraged or be negative just really try to keep your mental talk at a good level and believe in your capacity yeah well that's really good advice i feel all energetic in my in my heart <laughs> i'm like yes i will yeah. <laughs> uh, i just wanted to say like thank you so much for coming because you saved my ass because we did this interview <laughs> one year ago and uh, accidentally i fucked it up and every the whole interview just disappeared so you came here again and gave me another chance thank you so much yeah you're welcome but i think this conversation <laughs> was better because uh, i've learned you're more, more in the last like year. it's always easier the second time because you're more prepared mm. for for what i'm gonna put you through maybe yeah but because sometimes people get a little bit shocked but it's because it's so much questions you know yeah that yeah, they're right. difficult yeah but uh it's good to, to discuss them i think but i think i've grown a lot because of the mastermind so i'm happy to share mm. about that yeah and, uh, yeah and uh, where can we see you next time uh opus 16 somewhere in the future opus of course. 16 is definitely gonna start again right mastermind now you, courses yes mastermind courses yeah. and if you follow me on instagram michelle pal pianist yeah. i post everything there um and on website, facebook also michelle facebook is michelle pal pianist and my website is michellepalpianist.com yeah so there you can get uh, all the update and maybe maybe a festival in september in the netherlands yeah uh, and uh, maybe you will do an online concert we don't know that uh, teaching online of course online. at the moment everything is online so yeah There's a song i'm so much cooler online yeah <laughs> you also goes. sing do you not yeah yeah we didn't even talk about the singing yet yeah, oh my okay. god next okay time. we have to do a follow-up next time yeah follow next up. time thank you for being in my pleasure Mostly thanks music. for having me yeah was it good for you wonderful was it hard uh time? no it was it was really great i love talking about all this stuff yeah me too i really like uh, you coming here thank you it gave me a lot Master in music, master, master.